All right, 1 Corinthians 15. I think we dropped off with verse 1. Boy, we got so far last week, didn't we? All right, but look here in verse 1. We'll read a little bit, just a little bit this morning. He said, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye believed, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. For I, am not the, for I am the least of the apostles, that I am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. All right, last week I pointed out that the entire chapter, excuse me, <clears throat> the entire chapter really deals with the subject of of the resurrection. And I say the resurrection, it's really the resurrection of the Lord, but it also will turn into our participation in that same resurrection. And so we're trying to go through verse by verse here through the chapter. And we came across this term, the gospel, of which Paul defines later here in the chapter, just a couple of verses down, verse 3 and 4. And so whenever somebody talks to you about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, you can mark it down. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4 is what they're talking about. And if that's not what they're talking about, that's what they should be talking about. Uh, the gospel is not Matthew to Revelation or Genesis to Revelation. It's not the words of Jesus. It's not, you know, the, the, the red words or the red letters. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I had a preacher out at the prison uh, years ago, <clears throat> he said he was doing some mission work and he was preaching the gospel. And then he so graciously went on to define what the gospel was. He said all we preached was Jesus died, was buried, and rose again, and Jesus heals. That is not the gospel. It's just not the gospel. Uh, I don't doubt the fact I, we have a written record that the Lord Jesus Christ did heal. And I'll make this point, Lord willing, in the morning service. But the reason that the Lord healed was so that you knew he had the power to forgive sins. That's the reason that he healed. That was a sign to Israel. And they had to know who they were dealing with. And so they have promises in the Old Testament. We've gone through that dealing with signs and tongues and uh, wonders. Those things are given to Israel. And so he did those miracles for Israel so that they would know, hey, he has the power to forgive sins. And so I'll make that point briefly in the morning service, Lord willing, if I can remember it. But that goes along with what we'll be dealing with very briefly this morning in the morning service. So, uh, so we also covered the fact last week that th there is not, there, there's not just one gospel throughout your Bible. And the reason that 1 Corinthians 15 is such an important passage in defining the gospel is again because there's different gospels throughout, throughout your New Testament, throughout the Bible. We looked at some of those. There's the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of the grace of God is not the same thing. 
It is not the same thing. All you've got to do is just read. The gospel of the kingdom is the word that it's, it's the good news, it's the glad tidings that there's a king coming and he's getting ready to set up a literal physical kingdom in Jerusalem. Now, if you're a Jew, that's good news. Now, it's good news if you're part of the church. Of course, that's not necessarily what we're looking for. Our, 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 uh, what we're looking for is not from here. Uh, we're looking for a city whose foundations is God. It's not, it's not made with hands. Uh, but, but if you're a Jew and God promised to you a physical piece of real estate and God promised you physical blessings and God promised you all these things that relate to material wealth, it's good news that there's a Jewish king that's getting ready to come and set up a kingdom over in Jerusalem. And so that is what the gospel of the kingdom is. Then you've got obviously the gospel of the grace of God. You've got a gospel that was preached to Israel when they were getting ready to go into the land of Canaan, when they was parked, if you will, at the, in Kadesh Barnea. And then you've got the everlasting gospel. And when you go through and you look at these things, when you look at these different gospels that are contrasted with the gospel of the grace of God, uh, you won't see the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in there. Because in a lot of those things, it's not revealed yet. The everlasting gospel is something that's preached in the tribulation, and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is revealed because the tribulation is after the church age. So there is the revelation of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but it's dealing with something totally different. We're going to get into this here in just a second, but this is where people, uh, it's really easy to get your mind messed up when you get tunnel vision dealing with terms. Uh, you deal with the term gospel or deal, and we've said this before, but this fits this morning, uh, dealing with the term salvation. And people think when you, you know, talk about salvation, the only thing that that relates to is me being delivered from my sins and me being delivered from the condemnation of hell. And that's just not true. I went swimming at the beach, which I, I don't go to the beach. And I, I like the beach. I just don't go because there's too many naked people down there. I, I don't, it, it's not, uh, let me just throw this in here and let me just preach for a second. Uh, it's not just that the naked women make me uh, feel awkward. It's the naked fellas. Uh, there is nothing. Uh, well, I, I don't want to get too far off on that, but th that is just not appropriate. You, you say, Brother Nathan, why would you have to say something like that in Sunday school? I don't know, but it's just weird. Uh, Christians are run, running down to the beach now and think it's okay to take all their clothes off. I don't want to see a fellow without his shirt on. I just don't. I mean, that, that's right whether you say amen or not. I, it's just weird. It, it's weird. Uh, some fellows, Christians, they get up on a roof and, you know, take their shirt off because it's hot during the summer. Uh, hey, listen. You make fun of them all you want to. You make fun of them all you want to. But them ragheads out in the Middle East, they know how to stay cool in the heat. And they don't take their clothes off. They put more clothes on. So, makes sense to me. Anyways, keep your clothes on. Where that, what that has to do with the gospel, I don't know. But <clears throat> there it is. Uh, oh, I know how I got started on that. Uh, I went down to the beach and I was drowning and the lifeguard saved me. Obvious implication is not that he uh, changed my eternal destination from hell to heaven. He saved me from drowning. 
Uh, okay. So you got to be, you got to be careful. <clears throat> People talk about, you know, the Bible is so hard to understand. Well, it's funny because you don't have such a hard time understanding things that come across the news or things that you read in the newspaper or things that you read on ESPN. I mean, you can figure stuff out. A lot of words in the English language are determined. You can figure out their meaning just by looking at the context in which they're used. Wine is one of those words. Hey, sometimes wine in the Bible deals with alcoholic beverages. Sometimes it deals simply with the liquid that comes from a fruit. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, you say, well, how do I know which one? Look at the context. <laughs> when Lot gets messed up with his two daughters, he didn't get drunk on the juice that comes from a grape or peach. Something's messed up about that stuff. When Noah is inside his tent and whatever takes place with Ham going in there and the Bible says Ham saw Noah's nakedness. Whatever took place there. Some people insinuate a whole lot. I, I, I don't know. All I know is what the Bible says. It said he saw his nakedness. Okay. But when Noah gets in there and he's drunk and he's uncovered in his tent, that's not because he had a high old time with Welch's grape juice. <laughs> it's just, it's not. And likewise, when the Lord is using quote unquote wine at the last supper, which is where we get our communion observance from, which by the way, next Sunday night, we will have communion just in case I forget. I'll try to announce it in the morning service, but we're going to do that next Sunday night. But when the Lord is doing that observance, uh, he said, hey, this cup is a picture of the blood of the New Testament that I'm going to shed. Well, if that's fermented alcohol, then that's a pretty wild uh, type. That's to say that the blood of Jesus Christ is corrupted. Yes, sir. Uh, old Joseph deals with the Pharaoh's butler and baker down in Egypt and they're in prison with Joseph and they have these dreams and they tell Joseph these dreams. Joseph interprets them. But one of the things that this butler says is he said, I had grapes and I squeezed them into the cup of Pharaoh. Well, you know what he squeezed into Pharaoh's cup? Wine. That's what it's labeled. You go through and you look, it's labeled as wine. But you don't get fermented juice out of a grape. It's fresh. So you've got to be careful about terms. You know, people, people just rush into the Bible and say, well, it said this and therefore it means that. Well, that's why, listen, that is why at this church we try to make a big deal out of reading your Bible and reading it on a consistent basis and reading it from cover to cover. And when you do that once, do it again. And when you do it five times, do it again. And when you do it 20 times, do it again. And don't stop until you're dead Amen. because you're going to keep learning. You're going to keep learning and you're going to find folks that show up and they're going to say, well, you know, we're supposed to keep the Sabbath because the Sabbath is in the 10 commandments and you know, just because we're saved by grace through faith, that doesn't mean that God did away with the law. Well, it all sounds good, but there's a lot of stuff you're missing. For example, the law's not given to Gentiles. 
The law is not given to the church. We don't do right because we have to. That's what, that's what the premise of law is. We do right because we want to, because it's in our hearts. There's not just something that's governing us on the outside. There's something on the inside that leads us and guides us and says, hey, you don't do that. And not ironically, not by chance, that thing that is leading and guiding us, and I say thing with a capital T, that thing that is leading and guiding us just so happens to be the Word, the law, in spirit form. It's the Holy Ghost. And as He leads us and guides us, according to Romans chapter 8, what's produced in us is the righteousness of the law, something that the law could never produce, it could never produce, because of the weakness of the flesh. Well, that's about three Bible studies all in, all in about five or ten minutes, but you've got to be careful. You have to be very careful. And so when we say uh, there are different Gospels throughout the rest of the Scripture, some of these guys will get really uptight and really upset. Some preachers will get really uptight, and I, I guess they're preachers. I use that term really loosely. Uh, but they get really upset, and you say, they say, well, you're, you're saying that there are more, there's more than one way to get to heaven. And listen, let me just uh, lay that at ease. Let me lay that to rest and just say this. The only way that a man's ever gotten to heaven, the only way a man's ever gotten to heaven was by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. When people died in the Old Testament, they didn't go to heaven. If they died right with God, that's a big general statement because I don't have time to go through the specifics. They went to a place called paradise, which was in the heart of the earth, and they stayed there until Christ shed his blood at Calvary. And then, according to Ephesians chapter 4, Christ led captivity captive. And so the only way that they got to heaven was by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not preaching that men go to heaven several different ways. But there are different gospels and you just, you can't argue with that. And so Paul goes, I mean, you can, but you'll be wrong. And that's okay. I can live with that. I'll rest easy tonight if you want to be wrong. Amen. Uh, Galatians chapter one, Paul goes through and he begins to deal with this idea of another gospel. And one of the things that you're going to find out is that a lot of times when you're dealing with cults and you're dealing with false religion, a false gospel is really a legitimate gospel preached in the wrong dispensation. It's preached at the wrong time. And I alluded to this last week and try not to spend a whole lot more time here this morning, but uh, I, alluded, I alluded to this last week in the fact that men will go to Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 and say, this is how you get to heaven. You get to heaven by living by the Sermon on the Mount. And listen, I, I make no bones about it. If you live by the Sermon on the Mount to get to heaven, you're going to go to hell faster than a greased ball bearing on a plank. You, that does not put you in heaven. And that is because that word that's being preached in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is not how you live, in, how you live on earth to get into heaven. It's how you live on earth when the king is here. That's something that relates to the gospel of the kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the... That's right in the beginning of Matthew chapter 5. And that is because up until about Matthew chapter 10 or 12, that was the emphasis of Christ's ministry. He was trying to get Israel ready 
for his kingdom that he was going to try to bring in, but they didn't want Jesus because he, you know, slighted their religion, their false religion. It was God's religion that they took and messed up. So the Lord slighted that stuff and, well, he hurt our feelings, so we're going to kill him, which is about what it amounted to. You, you have to be careful. You have to navigate yourself through the scriptures very carefully, and you have to pay attention to detail. All right. Uh, all of that, be said, all that being said, let's look in verse 2. Let's move on a little bit this morning. He said, by which also ye are saved. Now, let me back up and just make this statement. He said, I, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. You stand in the gospel the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is where you stand as a Christian. Uh, regardless of whatever your state is, regardless of whether you're right with God or backslidden, if you're saved, you stand in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that should minister, we touched on this last week, that should minister a lot of comfort to you because uh, at any given moment, depending on how nice your spouse talks to you or how mean they talk to you or whether your kids are being... Uh, obedient or disobedient, uh, you might be right with God or not right with God. But that's not where you stand. Uh, you don't stand as far as your relation to God, your relation. Fellowship's a different story. But you don't stand in your relation to God based on your obedience or lack thereof. You... I'll just stay, stay there for a second. You stand... In relation to God, if you've trusted Christ, you stand in relation to God based on Jesus Christ's righteousness, his obedience. And that's a great blessing. That is why, that is why we preach once saved, always saved. We did nothing to trust Christ. We did nothing to get saved. Christ did it. The only thing we did is we heard we believed, we called. That's what we did. Well, everything else was done. When Christ died at Calvary, he said, it's almost done. Now, he said, it is, it is finished. There's nothing else that you can add to it, nothing else I can add to it, nothing else your church can add to it. It's finished. The only thing that's left for you to do is to participate in it by faith and calling on God. Thank God. Thank God. So that should minister a large measure of comfort to you. And Paul said, that's where we stand. That's where we stand. That's where you stand. You say, well, I don't feel like it. That's where you stand. If you called on God, if you called on the Lord Jesus Christ to save your soul, that's where you stand. And he said, now watch this. Now watch what he does in verse 2. By which also ye are saved. So you not only were saved in the past, but there's a salvation that can be worked now. Here you go, messing with this term, salvation. He said, by which also you're saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye believed in vain. Now, uh, a man who believes or a woman that believes you can lose your salvation, they'll run to 1 Corinthians 15, chapter, uh, chapter 15, verse 2, and say, see there, salvation is conditional. To which I'll say, that's right, it is. But it's a different salvation. It's not the salvation of your soul. Your, the only thing that the salvation of your soul is conditioned upon is did you believe? It was conditioned on somebody's obedience. Okay, that's done. Thank God. That's a, that's a constant. That is not a variable. The only variable in the equation of the salvation of your soul is did you believe and did you call? 
You say, well, Brother Nathan, I did those two things. Okay, that's done. It's done. But Paul turns around in, in verse 2 and he says, by which also ye are saved. That same gospel that saved your soul can also work a salvation in your day-to-day -day life. But it's conditioned on something. What's it conditioned on? If you keep in memory what I preached unto you. So there's something that can be remembered. You can see this same sense in 1 Timothy. Look in 1 Timothy chapter 4 this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. And look in verse 14. 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 14. Neglect not the gift that's in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things, give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Two things you need to take heed to, yourself and the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Well, it's very obvious that the salvation that he's talking about is not the salvation of your soul because you don't save yourself when it comes to the salvation of your soul. But when it comes to a different kind of salvation, you do have an influence on that kind of salvation. Uh, Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 2, he says, well, just hold your place in 1 Timothy 4 and look with me in Philippians 2. Let me just throw this out there right quick. Oh, look in Philippians chapter 2, and I don't have time to go through all of the book of Philippians, but you can, you can see this. I think you can see it. I, I believe if you'll be observant and read through it, you may have to read through Philippians a couple of times. It's a short book. You could probably read through it. I don't know, maybe 15 minutes or so. But reading through the book of Philippians, uh, you come to Philippians 2, and he said, Verse 12, wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. A lot of people will take that salvation and they'll say, well, God put, put something on the inside, and so now your responsibility is to work it out. And I'm not going to fuss a whole lot about that statement as far as whether it's doctrinally correct or not, because that, that'll work. But in the context, that is not what Paul is talking about. The context Paul is talking about is Christ's obedience to the Father. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Verse 7, He made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant. Uh, verse 8, Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became what? Okay. Well, that obedience, that obedience not only worked your salvation. Listen to me. This is a great blessing. It not only worked your salvation of your soul. It not only worked the salvation of you being able to escape hell and go to heaven. It not only worked the salvation of you being able to be right with God, but it worked the salvation for the Lord Jesus Christ. Not in the sense that he had sins that need to be forgiven. That's not what I'm talking about. It worked a salvation in the sense that because he was obedient, three days later after he's buried, three days later he's able to come up from the grave. Well, because of this obedience, there's a, there's a deliverance, there's a salvation 
that is worked from the circumstances, from the situation that he was in. And that's a, that's a really big doctrine. Boy, it's a great blessing. And Lord willing, we're going to get to that here before too long. I don't know when, but I got a message back there on my desk that will try and go through that stuff a little bit more. It's a great blessing. Well, Paul goes through that. He goes through that idea of the Lord uh, working this salvation, if you will. And he turns around and he applies it to you and says, now you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Well, how do I work out my own salvation? By obedience before the bad situation comes. Be obedient today. You say, Brother Nathan, I'm not in the middle of a bunch of trouble. Praise the Lord. Well, while you're not in the middle of trouble, be obedient today. Because what will happen is the, the obedience before the trouble comes. A lot of times what you're going to find is because you were obedient before, God has got you to a place in the middle of a circumstance, in the middle of trouble. And now you're able to find this salvation, to find this deliverance, to find, as Paul terms it, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13, you're able to find this way of escape. There's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. God will give you a way out. Well, a lot of times you can't find that way out. Sometimes it's because you're not looking for it, but sometimes it's also because you, lack, you lacked the obedience before you got into that mess, and now you're sitting here scratching your head and saying, where do I go? Let me give you an illustration of that. <clears throat> a lot of times what people do is they wait until they get in trouble to start trying to develop a prayer life. That's a bad idea. That's a bad idea. You say, why is it a bad idea? Because God won't hear me? Well, let's throw that argument out the window and let's ignore that for just a second. Let's say that, because God is merciful, ain't he? Hey. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hey, I'm not praying like I should. Now I'm in trouble. I'm going to start praying. So you get on your knees and you say, God, I'm sorry for the neglect of my prayer life. Okay, God forgives you. So now the Lord's hearing. But you know what's going on in the back of your mind? Now you're sitting there while you're praying in the back of your mind saying, boy, I ain't been praying like I should. And while you're trying to pray, there's a lack of confidence. There's a lack of faith. Why? Because of the lack of your obedience before the trouble came. And so what's going on is that, hey, there is a way of escape, but it's very difficult for you to find it because you weren't obedient beforehand. It was either R.A. Torrey or uh, Finney who made the statement, the problem that a lot of people get into, this is a good statement. He said the problem that a lot of people get into is they wait until temptation comes before they start trying to look for a way out. And the time to look, the time to seek is before the trouble comes. That applies across the board in your life. The the time to learn biblical doctrine, which is what I'm trying to drive at here in 1 Timothy chapter 4. The time to learn biblical doctrine is not when you've been challenged on it. Right? Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Well, when do you start studying? When you're asked questions? Well, that'll work. I mean, okay, fine. 
But that is not the time to start. The time to start is now, today. He said, Brother Nathan, I don't know. Uh, you know, I know what we believe as far as tongues and signs. And I use that just because it's an example on the top of my head. Uh, and it's also very common in this area. But I don't really, I know what we believe, but I'm not sure why we believe it. Okay, well, now's the time to study that before somebody comes to you and says, well, I believe speaking in tongues is right. Hey, now is the time to study that before somebody comes into the church and starts trying to spread it. Right? Now's the time. Now's the time. And what Paul points out in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, he says, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. There is a salvation. It's not the salvation of your soul. But there is a salvation that comes in your life by taking heed to the doctrines. Okay? Now, everything I've said is true. Now, let me revert back to the salvation of your soul and show you that the salvation of your soul agrees with what I'm trying to get across to you. Hold your place in 1 Timothy 4, 16 and look in Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. When you trusted Christ as your Savior, uh, don't answer this because I'm just trying to get your mind in a particular direction. What was it that saved you? Was it some magical trick that the Lord did over you? You know, you got out on your knees and said, Lord, I want you to save my soul. And the Lord said, abracadabra, poof. Uh, no, it, it, it's not quite that way. I, I, I think that's what a lot of people think salvation really is. Uh, at least that's what salvation is. is if you li uh, listen to a guy like Steve, Stephen Furtick, I don't even know how you say his last name. Some of y'all don't know who that is, but he's one of these emergent churches. And I, I say some of you don't know who that is. Some of you probably know very well who that is. You might have been listening to him this past week. And he's, he's a nut job. Hey Amen. Uh, Elevation Church. Anyways, but it's not, it's not a magic trick. Salvation's not a magic trick. Uh, look, at, look at what Romans chapter 6 and look in verse 17. He said, God be, but God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of what? You know what saved your soul? You say it was the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's right. You know what that is? That's a doctrine. So the salvation of your soul came about because somebody presented to you a doctrine. They probably didn't stand up in some class and go through all the theological aspects, but they preached to you the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you know what effect that had when you believed? It saved your soul. Thank God. Well, Paul turns around in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, and he says, he said, you better take heed unto these doctrines because the same way you believe the doctrine that saved your soul the same way. If you'll take heed to these doctrines, it's going to save your life. That's an important thing. Uh, one of the things that you're going to find out the farther we get to the coming of the Lord, one of the things that you're going to find out the farther we go into the church age, uh, as we come away from the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as it, is in, as it was in time 2,000 years ago, roughly, one of the things you're going to find out, and one of the things... You're watching. Go on right before your eyes. This is not something that's taking place in the Methodist church or the Presbyterian church 
or, you know, Anglicans, uh, Church of Christ, Jehovah's Witness. It's going on right now in Baptist churches, independent Baptist churches, is a mass departure from doctrine. Not a departure from right doctrine. It's a mass departure from doctrine, period. I, I told you uh, about this fellow that came several months ago and he stood out here. He's, he's a pastor that's getting ready to retire from a church in Indiana. And he was getting ready to move over into Camden County. And he came to a church right here in Folkestone and said, hey, can I have a doctrinal statement from your church? He came by to ask for the same thing from our church. And he actually came and visited. But anyways, he came and asked a church right here in town and said, can I have a doctrinal statement? And the pastor, the pastor told him, we don't have a doctrinal statement. We don't worry about that stuff then what in God's name are you doing pastoring a church? Hey, listen, everything that we do at People's Baptist Church is based on doctrine. Yes, sir. And I got news for you. Listen, I got news for you. Everything that you do, everything that you do is based on a doctrine, whether it's right or wrong. This idea that, well, we just stick to practical things and, uh, you know, we don't worry a whole lot about doctrine. That is ridiculous. Everything that you deal with in practice is determined by what you believe. Some of you folks have food that you stay away from. And you stay away from that food because you believe it's bad for you. Right? Okay, well, that's something that you believe. Right? I'm not talking about whether it's right or wrong. I'm just saying that's what you believe. Okay, well, the reason that we do what we do around here, the way this church has, the reason that this church has the attitude, good or bad, the reason that it has the attitude, the air, the atmosphere that it has is because of the way that we believe. Whether that attitude or air or atmosphere is right or wrong, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is that those things are determined by doctrines. And so for somebody to say, whether it be you or your grandma or somebody else in a church in this community, for somebody to say doctrine doesn't make any difference, that is so gross. It is so grossly an error. It's ridiculous. The only way, the only way that you can come to that conclusion is by no exposure to the scripture. That's it. A pastor that says, we're not going to worry about doctrine. The thing that we're worried about is building strong families and making sure people's finances are in order and, you know, making sure that the kids have something to do. The only reason a pastor gets to that place is because he's spending more time reading books by fellows that profess to be Christians than he's actually reading the Bible. And if, if you're a pastor which I mean, I don't see anybody in here other than myself. So I'll preach to myself for a second this morning and say, listen, if you're a pastor, the one thing that you should be focused on more than anything is what's the Bible say? Yeah. Hey, Brother Nathan, I think we should do this. Okay, what's the Bible say? Yeah. Hey, Brother Nathan, why don't we do this? Okay, what's the Bible say? Sometimes there's no explicit direction. Okay, in some of those things, you got liberty. A little hesitation there. Like what, Brother Nathan? Like the fact that should we take up an offering Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night? 
give you an example. We'll hit that when we hit 1 Corinthians 15 or 16. But Paul said, hey, take up a collection the first day of the week. And that's all he said. Well, why do we take up a collection on Sunday night and Wednesday night? Because I want to. Uh, there, it's not anything crazy. It's not anything specific. It's just, hey, that's just what we do. And I say it's because it's what I want to do, but it's just what this church has done for the last 400 years. We're Baptists. Why change it? <laughs> uh, we like our tradition. Oh, um, pull a little chain there, and boy, it'd be real tempting to go deal with that. But uh, what I'm trying to say this morning is that doctrine, doctrine, is where you need to go. Listen, the salvation to be worked in people in this day and time is, I'm talking about as far as their life goes, as far as your life goes, as far as my, my life goes. The salvation to be worked is not by uh, a fall festival. And we, the church across the road did that yesterday. And I have no problem with that. I, I am not trying to slight that at all. That's fun for people. People like that stuff. I'm not throwing off on that, but it doesn't lie in programs. The salvation that's going to be worked in people's life does not lie in programs. It doesn't lie in a music program. It doesn't lie in a good youth group. You say, where does it lie, Brother Nathan? Doctrine. Doctrine. What do we believe about X, Y, and Z? What does the Bible say? And Buddy, the, the farther you get away from that as a church, the less saving power a church is going to have. Where the word of a king is, there's power. We got any kings in here? I don't see no kings in here. Well, here's the word of a king. Just by chance, just by dink, it's called a King James Bible. It's kind of funny how all these new Bibles were not put together under the authorization of a king. They were put together under the authorization of committees. Well, I don't find anywhere in the Bible where committees and councils have power. Kings have power. Amen. That's pretty good. Very true. Yes, sir. So take heed unto the doctrine. Take heed unto the doctrine. Look in... Uh, First uh, Peter chapter one. First Peter chapter one and look in verse twelve. First Peter chapter one and look in verse twelve. I'm also grab my place back in First Corinthians fifteen. <clears throat> but First Peter chapter one and look in verse twelve. Paul said, "He said, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye believed in vain." Uh, look in verse. Give me just one second. Sorry for the awkward silence. Look in verse 12. The Bible says, Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves but unto us they did minister the things uh, which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things... The angels desire to look into. Hang on just a second. That's because I'm in the wrong book. Look in 2 Peter. 2 Peter. I knew that didn't look right. Scribal error. That's why you review your notes before you teach and preach. 
Oh, well. All right. Second Peter chapter 1 and look in verse 12. The Bible says, uh, Paul, uh, Peter speaking now, he says, Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. So there are some things that, Paul, that Peter is going through and he's covering again, but they're things that are already known to the people that he's talking to. Well, like what things, Peter? Well, verse 4 of the same chapter, Second Peter 1, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. Okay, well, there's the salvation. There's your salvation, salvation of your soul, if you will. You've been made a partaker of the divine nature. Well, Peter says in verse 12, he said, I'm going to put you in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and you're even established. This is not something that's unfamiliar to you. This is not something, this is probably something that you could stand up and teach. You could stand up and explain. But he said, I'm going to preach the same old thing to you. He said, well, why is that? He said, though you know them and be established in the present truth, yea, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. Uh, when you begin to remind people of things that they already know as far as biblical truth, there's a stirring that takes place. Watch. Listen to me real close. This is not very deep. This is not very profound. You're not going to have to think very hard about this, I don't think. But listen to this. When you go around and you listen to the average camp meeting preacher, and that's what they call themselves, that's what they call each other. Oh, he's a good camp meeting preacher. I could call a preacher's name right now, and probably 90% of you would know who he is because he is famed. Oh, he's a camp meeting preacher. He'll put you right in the lap of Jesus Christ. I mean, he'll put you right there next to God. I mean, he just, whoo, puts you up in glory. And you know what they're talking about? They're talking about this preacher has the ability to stir you up. Okay? And what a lot of times that lies in is just the manner of delivery of the message, which I'm not going to knock. I, sometimes I have preached and I have bored myself. Uh, there's something to be said about being lively and being dynamic. The Bible said in 1 Peter chapter 1, God's begotten us to a lively hope. Okay, look like you're alive. Don't look like you're a zombie. Brain. That's what a lot of Christians look like. You know why them zombies walk around and say that? Because they ain't got none. Brain. That's what a lot of Christians do. Brain. It's because they ain't got one. Just making sure you're awake this morning. Uh, some of you ain't listened to nothing I said until I said that. Well, that's all right. Uh, but anyways, uh, it's lively. But uh, what these preachers talk about is, you know, this guy is so dynamic and he's so lively and blah, blah, blah. Hey, I have had Christians, for sake of calling them out, I don't want to call them by name. Of course, I'm tempted to. But I've had Christians come to me and say, oh, you'd really like this guy. You would really like this guy's preaching. And I've asked them years ago. A teenager, maybe in my 20s. And I said, well, why? What's so good about him? Well, he's so funny. I didn't know the responsibility of a preacher was to be funny. I didn't know the responsibility of a preacher was to be entertaining. Well, listen, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to draw contrast to you this morning and point out to you this morning that what really is going to stir you up is not the mannerism of some preacher. 
There's something to be said for, hey, this guy believes this and he's very animated about it. There's something to be said for that. I'm not going to totally eliminate that idea. People are people. I understand that. But Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1, he said, what's going to stir you up is the things that you already know. It's truth. It's doctrine. And he said, you being put in remembrance of those things. Yes, sir. One of the things, one of the benefits of preaching a gospel sermon to a group of saved people is it puts them in remembrance of where God brought them from. Hey, I, I take responsibility for this in my preaching as far as a pastor goes. And I've, I've tried the last couple of weeks to do something about it. But, you know, a lot of times we preach to God's people. And it's right. It's right to do. But we preach to God's people about, hey, why aren't you thankful where God brought you from? Why aren't you animated about the fact that God delivered your soul from hell and God saved you from a sinful life. Well, a lot of that has to do is that people are people and they tend to forget. If it's information that is not constantly reviewed and constantly gone over, if you don't use it, you... It's not to say you lose your salvation, but you lose the reality of that thing. You grow cold to it. You remember what it was like to first get married? Right? It's something new. Boy, it's, it's like paradise. At least, okay, maybe not for all of you, but <laughs> until you found out she couldn't cook like mama or, you know, you found out that he didn't take care of the house like daddy. And, okay, but you remember what it was like. Uh, Johnny Cash said, we got married in a fever. That's, all, that's as far as I'll go with that. Now that'll be playing in your mind for the rest of the Sunday morning service. But it was it was new. This thing was wow. This this is great. This is grand. And then you wake up one morning. You've been married for ten years. And now it's it's still good, but it's eh, we're married. You know what's happened? Uh, well, some of that is just the natural course of life. But some of it is you've really forgotten what it means. Uh, when you're, when you're not very far removed from the contrast of being single to now being married, when you're not far removed from the event that drew that contrast, boy, it's like, man, everything's brand new. Well, now you're 10 years away from that event that drew the contrast, and now it's kind of like, well, this is just my life. And so you tend to take it for granted. Get saved at 10 years old or, you know, 20 years old, and then you get 30 years removed from that event that drew the contrast in your life, and it's kind of, eh. hey, when you first got saved, hey, I got to tell somebody about Jesus. Hey, man, I, it's all about God. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the church. It's all about the Bible. You weren't perfect, but, man, you had some zeal, and now you're 30 years removed from that thing, and it's, Peter said, what we've got to do is we've got to take you back. We don't need a new truth. But we've got to take you back to the same truth that worked all of that stuff in your life. And we've got to remind you. You have to be reminded. Brother Nathan, every time I hear these preachers, they preach the same thing. There is a reason for that. That is the problem. Listen, that is the problem with this new age uh, and I say new age, but they, boy, it's really subtle. These 
chick preachers who are claiming they're independent Baptists, these young guys that are my age, but they're coming in and trying to bring in this contemporary music and trying to bring in, you know, all of the soft, effeminate spirit into a church. That's the problem with this stuff. What, they, what they're proceeding on the basis of is the false understanding. It's a false understanding that what we need is to update Christianity. We need to bring Christianity up to speed. We have to bring it up to our current generation. And Peter said that is not what has to take place. We have to take the current generation back to the same thing that has worked throughout the ages. What you need is you just need a new revelation of the same old truth. Hey, listen, if you backslid in here this morning, I can tell you this. What you need is not necessarily to be saved again. Once saved, always saved. But what you need is you need a new revelation of the fact that, hey, God saved my soul. You need a new revelation of the fact of, hey, I have a purpose. Uh, David calls that, he, say, he says it this way. He says, anoint me with fresh oil. That's what you need. you need. You need to be anointed anew with fresh oil. You don't need something, you know, some new program. We don't need to change the church. The church works. The church works. You say, why? Because the Bible works. The Bible works. And boy, that's really tempting to get engaged with uh, a lot of preaching, but I, I'm not trying to preach this morning. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Let me just make a couple of statements about some of these things and then we'll close this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Let me see what this is. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and then also look in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Got about five minutes, so let me make these points and we'll close this morning. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and look in verse 19. <clears throat> uh, the Bible says, What know ye not, 1 Corinthians 6, 19, What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own? Is that true or not true? It's true, absolutely. Okay, verse 20, you're, for ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, that's true whether you woke up this morning and felt that way or not. It's true whether you woke up yesterday morning and remembered it or not, right? It's an absolute truth. Okay, but you don't remember that all the time, do you? And that's what gets you in a mess. You forgot. That's what Paul is talking about in 1 Peter chapter 4. That's what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 15 when he says, hey, there's a salvation that's able to be worked if you'll remember. If you'll remember. <clears throat> you say, Brother Nathan, I don't get much out of my Bible reading. Okay, well, there's utility. There's usefulness in reading your Bible even if you don't feel like you're learning anything new. You say, what's, what's the utility? What's the use? The reminding you of things that you do know. That'll work a salvation. You understand that, don't you? 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 and 20. You, you remember that? I have seen that take place in my life over and over again. I have seen that take place in my life over and over again as a pastor. 
be thinking about something and be praying about something, say, boy, should I say this or should I do that or should I make this decision? And just because I was reading, trying to read on a regular basis, trying to be faithful in my daily Bible reading, I'll run across a verse that I forgot about and that was my answer. Maybe it had been preached on. Maybe it had been elaborated on. Maybe God showed, showed me something out of it three years beforehand, but I ran across it and lo and behold, there's my answer. I just forgot. I've seen that happen several times. 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and look in verse 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So there's your learning. There's your study. There's your application. But he says, but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a canker. Uh, that's like a cancer, by the way. Better illustration is you get those canker sores. Oh, they hurt. That's something, it's like a flesh-eating disease. It's nasty. It's nasty. Anyways, I won't elaborate because we don't have enough time. <laughs> but anyways, uh, verse, of whom is Hymenius and Philetus. Now watch what he says. Who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some. It, Paul said in in 1 Timothy 4, he said, Take heed to the doctrines, continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. I don't remember when it was. I think we were going through an introduction on 1 Corinthians 15, but we were talking about the effect. I believe we were covering 1 Corinthians 15 in introduction. We are talking about the effect that having a forward look to the return of the Lord will have on your life. The the rapture, the second advent, uh, it's a look in both directions. That's what the communion table is about. You do show the Lord's death, past, till he come, future. It takes those two things and it ties them together. That's an ordinance that the church is supposed to observe. And so what, what Paul is saying here is, hey, here's some guys that have come in and they're teaching bad doctrine. They're teaching something that's wrong. They're saying that the resurrection has already taken place. And he says what it does is it overthrows the faith of some. It messes them all up, messes their life up. Hey, if they trusted Christ, they're still saved. But boy, it's destroyed their life. That's, that's why doctrine is important. That's why it's important. And so you take heed to those things. And the farther we go, the more heed you should take to them. Amen. Father, help us this morning. God, thank you for your goodness. Lord, thank you for the word of God. Lord, thank you, God, for the sure rock that it is. And Lord, just pray that you'd help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Bless the morning hour. In Christ's name, amen. All right. A little bit over again. We'll try to fix that a little bit more. But anyways, long-winded preacher. Take a couple minutes break and we'll get started this morning.